0: This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're listening to the Mostly Harmless podcast.
1: Or at least you better be.
2: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Most of the Homeless podcast. I'm your host, it Damien. All right, buddies. Welcome to the show. Boy, do I have an exciting show for you because today, uh, today we're gonna venture to the Denver Comic Con convention here in uh, beautiful Denver, Colorado from just a couple weeks back. Sorry, it's taken me some time to get these episodes up. Uh, got a little sick. I've been battling with some intense depression issues that you guys don't want to hear about and. Uh, you know, uh, it took me a little bit longer than I anticipated to get these episodes up from Denver Comic Con, but they're up. They're going to be up now, buddies. They're going to be up soon. And boy, am I excited to bring them to you today. Uh, so this first interview, because we got two interviews today, buddies. This first interview is a short, little, sweet, little man-on-the-street interview with uh, Sam Spina. Now, Sam Spina used to live in Denver. Now he lives in Los Angeles, where he's a storyboard uh artist for a very, very popular cartoon that we're going to find out here all about in a minute. Um, And we're going to talk to him about how he went from making little independent cartoons and comic books and whatnot into working on one of the biggest shows on Cartoon Network. Um, He's an incredible guy. I'd met him a couple years back, and I'm pretty sure I, I just went looking through my emails. I wrote him a fan email. Uh, maybe two or three <laughs> three years ago, and I was like, oh man, I love your stuff, I'd love to chat with you sometime, and we finally made it happen, it's only a short little nine minute interview, but uh, uh, Sam Spina was hands down one of the my favorite people I got to meet at Denver Comic Con that weekend, and hopefully me and him will become best friends forever, and speaking of best friends forever, I've always wanted to be best friends forever with Liz Prince, and this weekend we almost pretty sure we kind of sort of made it happen uh, of course you know liz prince because um she's of course all over the tumblr sphere if you're on tumblr you've seen her artwork you've seen her stuff um not to mention she's done cover art and valentine's for masked intruder and uh she's uh, got a regular comic strip in the pages of razor cake super super cool stuff um i, I originally found her on live journal as we're going to talk about here in a minute um She's got a, a couple award winning books. Uh, the one that most people know her for is Will You Still Love Me If I Wet the Bed? And then today we're going to be talking about Tomboy, her newest uh, graphic novel, full length graphic novel, in which she talks about her trials and tribulations of growing up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, as a uh, little tomboy and how punk rock kind of elevated her and helped her escape from that, along with the comics she was drawing. That book just won an Independent Publishers Book Award, and that's the first of many awards that this book is going to get. Tomboy was a fantastic book. I know you're thinking to yourself, you're like, Damien, I'm a fat 40-year-old punk rock dude who uh, drinks way too much beer. What am I going to get out of a book about a girl uh, dealing with body issues? Well, I'm a fat kid, and I've always been a fat kid. And reading Tomboy really resonated with me because it's not necessarily a book about being different or being... Well, yeah, it is. It's a book about being an outcast and finding your way and finding your path and finding your place in life. And I think a lot of us can identify with that. Uh, but before we get to the uh, panel interview I did with Liz Prince, let's uh, give a little quick interview to Mr. Sam Spina. Now, uh, I should I should thank our good buddies at Print Ninja... For uh, this interview with Sam Spina, Um, they're—I guess—they're the unofficial sponsor of the Denver Comic Con episodes because on that first day of the Denver Comic Con, uh, Print Ninja—they're a uh, printing um, company—and they do it with ninja-like speed. They were at the convention and they were giving away free beers to those who had exhibitor badges. Now I had a media badge and the media badge looks exactly like the exhibitor badge, so we were going back there and drinking free uh, Breckenridge beers all day that first day um and uh the yeah so i'm a little more lubricated than i wish i had been but i think it flows well and it's fun and it's interesting and uh sam was one hell of a guy and a great sport and again i think sam was my favorite person that i met all weekend long just a hell of a dude hell of a great time running by his table and talking to him I have a little sketchbook here i bought a couple of years back and he was the only person i got the sketching it all weekend long because i am a slack jawed uh slacker or something i don't even know buddies um so uh let's let's you know this is a man on the street interview um that we did just on the floor at denver comic-con we videotaped this we'll see if it ever makes it onto youtube um If not, I wanted to make sure it got out there and in front of audiences because I think those who are here listening for Liz Prince are going to get a lot out of this about how a guy went from drawing indie comics into uh, doing cartoons. So let's uh, venture to the floor of the Denver Comic Book Convention here in Denver and listen to that interview with Mr. Sam Spina right now. I got my hands full of free beer. All right, so I'm here with Sam Spina. Spina? Spina. Spina. Hello. We're here at uh, Denver Comic Con, what, 2015? 2015, yeah. that's the year. So you're a Denver you're a former Denver resident. I lived here for like five years. Five years. I mean that's a good chunk of time. Yeah. You're living in Los Angeles now. What is it like to return back to Denver and then like bring all this awesomeness with you? Uh, well,
3: I really like Denver a lot. I could live in Denver again. I lived in Atlanta for a year after Denver and that was the pits. I didn't Atlanta like it at all. Yeah, totally. But I could totally come back to Denver, so Yeah, it's fun. Um, I worked at a restaurant here for, like, four years, so... What restaurant? It's called Colore in Inglewood, Colorado. No idea. Yeah. So, ate there last night. I love coming back. All my friends are in town. Denver has an awesome commerce community. And you get free
2: places to stay, of course, I hope. Free places to stay. Nice. so, what are you doing out in LA? You were telling me you were doing some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, LA. I work
3: at Regular Show. I do what? storyboards for Regular Show. I uh, started on season, season seven, so
2: won't air until the end of this year, probably. But yeah, Regular Show. Yeah. Okay. So, you started out doing indie comics. You're going to knock over your water bottle. You started out doing indie comics. Yes. Those indie comics somehow led to working on a cartoon that everyone loves.
3: Yeah, it's kind of a weird story. And it seems like it should all uh, come together, but it doesn't. So oh. I, I've i been making mini-comics for a long time. And uh, I've, you know, traveled to a lot of different comic shows and stuff. And I did one in San Francisco, Eight. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, I like it. yeah. Well, yeah. not that I've ever been there, but I want to. I've only been one time. But uh, I met somebody... This is not about regular show. I met somebody from Nickelodeon there, and uh, Nickelodeon has an awesome shorts program where you can just like open pitching and you can make you know pitch your idea for a TV show or whatever. So uh, I met this lady there, Juliana. I pitched a short <laughs> to her. They accepted it, and they I got this Nickelodeon short made too. So that's on Nickelodeon's website. It's called Hole. Uh, that's like my life passion project thing. And then, oh. before I ever met Nickelodeon, I took a storyboarding test for a Regular Show probably like three years ago. They just sent them out to like indie comic guys, um, just like a short 10 page storyboarding test. And they didn't get back to me until like late last year. And I kind of thought after the Nickelodeon thing that everything would start moving in the animation biz, but it didn't really happen that way. But, anyways, I'm on Regular Show now, so it rules. And you're paying your bills
2: doing what I hope, hopefully, what you yes, love. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't become, like, a job. Does 100%, 100%. it become a job yet? 100%.
3: No, I mean, it's it's hard work, but, I mean, it's... Even when I have, like, a crazy deadline tomorrow and I have to draw all this stuff, you have to, like, step back and be like, it's crazy that I'm, like, worried about drawing a cartoon right now. Yeah.
0: That's,
2: it's awe-inspiring because it's, like, who knows? So, sure, let's let's talk about this. Sure. So, why did you start making indie comics? It's like, DIY little, little books? Yeah. I, Mom, uh... Well, I went
3: to school for graphic design. I'd never read comics when I was a little kid. Um, I mean, I read like Nickelodeon magazine and was into c- cartoons and stuff like that, Mad Magazine and stuff. But uh, yeah, I never got into like superhero comics or anything like that. And um, but I've always been doodling. And I hit this weird point in college where it's like I really wanted to be an artist, but I didn't feel like I could like draw good enough to be like a drawing guy. I didn't feel like I could paint good enough to be a painter. I was like doing graphic design, but like my heart wasn't in it. and then like, I feel like comics is like a combination of like everything that I love. like I get to make all these like weird doodly stories and'll like, come up with these weird characters, and it has like all the elements of like everything that I like together. So once I discovered comics, like right when I was finishing college it just instantly became my life.
2: And so how does it feel like, one of the things I'm talking to people about today is, I was a kid growing up who always talked about doing things. Yeah. Never did them. Now I'm slowly, not even slowly, now I'm doing things, doing the things i talked about. Yeah. And I find how easy, once once you get up off the couch, turn the Netflix or the Xbox off, how easy it is to actually like accomplish the things you want to do. It's pretty crazy. Has it been easy? Do you feel like it's been easy for you? I wouldn't say it's been easy, but... Well, because it's a lot of hard work.
3: It's a lot of work, but it's... Uh, if you're passionate about something... I'm, I can 100% say for sure if I never got any um, animation job or anything like that, I would make mini-comics for the rest of my life. I worked in restaurants yeah. for like six years after college, you know, just like doing mini-comics, and it's like I'm kind of cool with that, you know? It's, I mean, I don't know if I could go back now. After that sweet <laughs> taste of success. But, I don't know. It's just... Yeah. It's such a low barrier to entry. and It's totally true. Just find something that you like doing and do it. And if your passion is video games, who cares?
2: Just do it. Well, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and there are guys out there who... There's the South Park episode where they make fun of the guys who do commentary on video games. Yeah. And do doing that commentary. That and, YouTube videos. And, and they, they make a living, but that's their passion. And you followed your passion. Yeah. Now you're working for... It's insane. I never would have thought in a million years. Right. Yeah. I mean, I. Not to talk too much about myself. Yeah. i never thought I'd be running around Comic Con with a media pass totally. interviewing people, awesome. and I'm yeah. meeting, I'm interviewing you, talking to you, and yeah. It, it it just took that one little step, and here we are. Yeah. And we're doing great things. Yeah. Um. So that person that's sitting on the couch, they don't know how to do it. Do you have any advice to them on what they should do or any particular paths? Um, I.
3: To like make it a little more geared towards my situation if you want to start making comics or mini comics yeah. or something because you get that a lot like how do I start making comics you just like have to just do it and another thing is a lot of people get hung up on they like have this big idea for a big story and they draw the first 10 pages and hate it and draw the first 10 pages again and hate it just like finish something does it if it's like the worst thing you've ever done just finish something and move past it and then finish something else finish the next thing like don't keep like discouraging yourself because you can i mean there's a million people that are just working on their first book for like 10 years or something it's crazy just got to get it out there flood the market with your garbage and
2: and you'll never know where it's going to take you but it's that first step out i mean what's the hobbit is it's all about that first step out the door totally um is there anything this weekend that you would like to promote now that people are People out there in YouTube land would yeah. like to look at? You know, I, if anything, I want you to watch Hole,
3: my Nickelodeon short, Hole. Well, Google it H O L E, Nick Short, Sam's Wiener Hole. Cool. Um, All my books, th- I've been kind of slacking off my of. books. That's okay. Yeah. You have I, a real job. Yeah, I, actually, I have, um, I'm drawing Sanjay and Craig comics for a Nickelodeon
2: magazine that's uh, starting in July. So awesome. Look for that. You also have this that was put out by Denver's. Own Kilgore books.
3: Kil- Kilgore's the coolest shop in Denver. It really they're, is. Like, they're my favorite. Um, Kurt Vonnegut. I love Kurt Vonnegut. Kilgore Trout. Yeah, Kilgore Trout. They put out this book. They're putting out my next mini comic, which should be out late summer.
2: Yeah, it's so, called Vulture City Stories. That's my next one. So, other than watching uh, regular show, Sam, what should? Uh, what do you want? Uh, YouTube and whole. We're going yeah. to watch more. We'll, yes. We'll link to it somewhere in the just to, comments below. Just in comments
3: below. asking me to like below? Uh, a YouTube video that I suggest to I don't know. anybody. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we're winging this. We're figuring this out as we go along. I just saw a really funny one. I can't think of it. Oh, no. Oh, uh, man. I watch a ton of BuzzFeed videos. It's pretty embarrassing. Um, BuzzFeed videos. I hate BuzzFeed, but I like their videos. I can't uh, not what is watch it. I'm pretty good at it. Uh, I'm blinking. I hate it's this. It's all right, good. Yeah. I have so many YouTube videos I would love you to watch Oreo Array. Yeah. in the comments
2: yeah. um, Sam thanks for hanging out chat. thank with you very it. much this is, this is fun I'm glad we ran into each other uh, and uh, any final words final words I don't know, I don't know. we're making this love up love yourself go long. baby love yourself baby <laughs> I love it see you in the funny pages Right, buddies. Thank you to Sam Spina for hanging out and chatting with me. I know I've said it three times now, but uh, Sam, I think you were one of my favorite people I met at Denver Comic Con. Um, I was walking by his table and I saw his stuff and I'm like, wait a minute, I know this guy. I think I met you last year. I love your stuff. I love your work. What are you up to? What are you doing? Let's chat. And um, I, I think this is going to be the beginning of a meaningful relationship maybe between the two of us. Who knows? Who knows, buddy? But uh, thank you to Sam Spina for hanging out and chatting. Hopefully those of you who are here to listening to the Liz Prince interview, like maybe you're a younger kid making comics of your own, maybe you'll learn something from this interview. Um, and maybe maybe one day you'll be like, man, you know what? I'm doing cart- cartoons at you know, YouTube or whatever and – I just remember listening to that guy talking about doing mini comics and how he ended up here. And, you know, maybe I could do it too. I'm trying to be inspirational here, friends. And speaking of inspirational, so Denver Comic Con. Uh, last year, I got the host a handful of celebrity panels. I interviewed Michael Rooker. I got to introduce the Batman, Adam West, um, Burt Ward, Julie Newmar panel. I was supposed to interview the incredible Hulk Lou Ferrigno, know, but he was a no-show. And we did some pretty cool, pretty big stuff. This year, I decided I wanted to do my own stuff tailored to Mostly Harmless and the podcast. Uh, we pitched a ridiculous uh, panel called Wrestle- Comics vs. Comics uh, comedians and comic artists on their love of wrestling um, it ended up going over very well that should be on next week's podcast um, and then they I came back to him and was like hey I've got a, a handful of ideas for this this and this and Liz Prince got announced and went hey I'm friends with Liz Prince I interviewed her for new noise magazine a few months back and I would love another opportunity to do a panel with her uh, so it's the last minute I get an email and they're like hey do you want to do a panel with Liz Prince? We'd love to have you do it. We think it'd be great. We think it would be uh, it would draw really well and be a good um, panel for the convention. Absolutely. We both signed up for it. Well, going into this panel, going into this panel, I prepared as if there was a room full full of 14 year old girls. Um, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to come out quite right, but the idea I had in my head was there's a room full of 14-year-old girls. What do they need to hear that's going to help them on their path to creative um, bliss or whatnot? You know, the words are escaping me because, you know, whatever. Uh, well, it turns out it was so last minute that in the guidebooks, they actually listed the, the, the panel with Liz Prince and talking about Tomboy. But unfortunately on the day sheet you know the the selection where it said the schedule it said TBD for our time so um, what Denver Comic Con expected to be a packed house only had about 25 people in there which is okay it was great it was a wonderful intimate little chat it just is funny because uh, Liz is there to promote her new book Clarence for the Cartoon Network TV show and that panel was booked wall to wall to wall she walks over to the next room and there's 20 people but it was great. It was fantastic. It was intimate. And everyone I know that was there was like, Damien, that was one of the best panels I saw all weekend. And, and, um, I, I'm just thrilled to have done it in, Liz Prince, I've I've been in love with her work for so long, and maybe even maybe I even had a little fanboy crush on her as well. And she's a wonderful sweetheart of a person. And I think, and and boy, I, I I'm bummed she invited me to go to breakfast with her the last day of the convention, but I just couldn't make it. I had too much stuff to do to get ready for my other uh, panel. Um, and I'm I'm never gonna stop kicking myself for not not making it to that. Um, but buddies, man, I I've rambled way too long, and I'm gonna ramble a whole lot in this panel. Um, If you like what you hear in a minute, visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com. Check it out. We're doing a lot more live shows. I think uh, Mostly Harmless is going to slowly gravitate towards being just a live show only podcast. I don't know how many more. I I work 40 hours a week on top of trying to make this happen and um, all my other duties and responsibilities. I run a comedy podcast. Production company now And I'm just I'm way too busy And I don't know if we can Make these one-on-one Sit-downs happen As much anymore um, So I think a lot more Stuff is going to be live In front of an audience Like this Liz Prince interview So visit Mostly com. Check out our sponsors Ratio Beer works And DeathWishCoffee.com And uh, again it, it, Hopefully you gained Something from this uh, Interview This panel interview I did at Denver Comic Con With Liz Prince I know I did I gained a best friend For everybody's So let's uh, travel back Again, once again, to the Denver Comic Con and listen to this uh, awesome, awesome panel with Liz Prince. Uh, there should be video going up of this eventually. I'm not entirely sure when, uh, but in the meantime, let's uh, let's take a listen, buddies. Thanks. thanks. This is fun. This is going so well already.
1: If they clap. That means I get to leave. So thanks.
2: <laughs> All right. So uh, hello, friends. I am uh, Damian Burford. I'm the host of the Mostly Harmless podcast. I have a, uh, we have a table over in the podcast peak area. Uh, mostly we do like punk, I interview like punk rock musicians, uh, some filmmakers, comedians, and comic book people. And Liz here, Liz Prince is our guest today for this panel. Um, and she, uh, yeah. Thank you. She kind of fits all those categories. <laughs> you're kind of a punk rock. I mean, you don't look like it, but you're a punk rock kid. I know,
1: isn't it funny? Today, I... Decided to dress. I'm cosplaying as someone who's very business casual. Um, oh, nice. This is my I found an expensive J. Crew shirt for four dollars at a thrift store cosplay um, and uh, You yeah, know, I was just having a conversation with some friends a couple of weeks ago where we were like, maybe when we go do things in our Professional life. We're not just gonna wear like jeans and t-shirts anymore. And so I was like, well, I'll wear this to a convention and I'll see how that does uh, I don't think it's made any difference in anything whatsoever.
2: I'm, 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 just, I'm just wearing jeans and a t shirt. I
1: feel good in it. And I wanted to compliment you on your Elvis Costello oh. shirt. I love it. Oh, thank For you. For the listeners at home. Yeah, thank you. Because he is recording this as a podcast, just so that you know. Oh, yeah, you
2: can find this at com. but it, this is a moot point because if you're already at com listening to it, you're you already there.
1: You missed it. You missed it. Are right you there? <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, so today we're going to talk a little bit about liz's uh origin story which is uh chronicled here in this book tomboy um has this actually won any awards yet
1: i mean uh, i know it it will i'm uh, saying it will it won something called an Ippy. it won a gold medal it's an independent publishing award that i'd never heard of before but i'm very happy to have won it uh it's been included on some really important library lists. Uh,
2: People Magazine.
1: It was in People Magazine, that's not an award, that's just a weird but thing cool. that happens to me. Uh, um, my dentist was really excited about it, so that's cool. I, I, I was
2: i was gonna say though, I think it will by the years and win a ton of awards because it's a fantastic book.
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly <laughs> hope so. I think it's a great book. Uh, I think everyone who hasn't read it should go and buy it. Unfortunately, you can't buy it from me here because uh, I'm tabling with Boom Studios, and so I'm not allowed to sell any of my own books. But I did bring uh, postcards, they're free. I put them on that chair over there. Uh, they're blank on the back, so if you want to take a couple and send them to your friends, that's great. But yeah. it also has my website, lizprincepower.com, which has links to uh, lots of other things that I do, and also I post a lot of free comics online. So yeah. people should check it out if they don't already do that.
2: I had a crazy idea. This is the uh promo copy I got from your publisher, they were kind enough to send me because we did that interview for New Noise magazine six months ago. Um, If you guys, most panels, the questions are a little laxed. So I had an idea, like whoever asked the best question out of uh, when we get to the Q&A part, um, I'll give them this copy of the book that maybe Liz will sign. I will sign it and also,
1: um, this is a first printing. There are several things that are different about this. Namely, um, it does not have a quote on the front, and the Zest logo is different, so, um, oh, so it's almost a collector's item. Maybe I shouldn't give away <laughs> yeah, my Yeah, maybe super you rare. shouldn't be giving it away. Uh, this book has been reprinted five times now, so um, this is a very, a very special copy uh, to entice you to uh, ask a really good question.
2: I, it's awesome. <laughs> now I kinda wanna keep it. Um, don't ask anything.
1: <laughs> no, um,
2: so um, Liz, what did you eat for breakfast this morning?
1: I had an egg and cheese on a pumpernickel bagel. i got to say it was pretty lackluster. The uh, bagel didn't really taste like anything, but, you know, yeah. it's fine. Con life. That's con life
2: for you. So, so you grew up in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, which yep. is like five, six hours away from here.
1: Yep, and it's actually a higher elevation than Denver, so we always used to call you guys wusses. I, I Sorry mean, about that little... Yeah little santa fe folklore for you uh do you have any
2: family friends that came to visit you this weekend from santa fe make that little drive up
1: um no absolutely not Um, what i was kind of hoping that maybe my mom would come but she was actually just in california with my sister Uh, my sister is a belly dancer which is kind of the like polar opposite of me um my sister was performing at a very important belly dancing convention they have conventions for belly dancing just like we have for comics and she was at that so awesome so she obviously loves my sister more than she loves me, I guess. Is that. Well,
2: you were just in Santa Fe, too, promoting the book.
1: Well, that was like six months ago. Oh, Three was it? Months. My well, sister lives in Santa Fe. You'd think that I would have some kind of priority. I dedicated this book to my mom. Come on, where is she? <laughs> she should be in this audience right now.
2: Well, I was really excited for you to come because we've been talking about doing an interview for a long time, and I wanted to do it in person because I want to be best friends forever with you. Sure. You and now in front of these 20 people, we are cementing that uh, relationship. Like
1: the fee for being best friends forever with me is like 100 bucks. Not refundable, oh. but it... Hey, uh, can I guarantee that you'll borrow said. five bucks from each one of you.
2: No, Seriously, I don't have any money.
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's kickstart it. I actually
2: have a kickstarter <laughs> going right now if you want to. Anyway. Um, but what I, I don't remember the first time I, I encountered your work. I believe it was probably on Live Journal. Were you a Live Journaler?
1: I was, Uh, it's so funny to think about that, because (laughs) someone actually pointed out to me in a different interview that I did, they were like, you were one of the first people who was actually posting comics online on like a regular basis. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, holy crap, I was, like back in 2000, I was like using LiveJournal to post comics, um, which is interesting, because I've never really considered myself a web cartoonist, like um, since I, grew up being really into like mini comics and zines. I've always been really, uh, I always feel like the end product of anything I do is print. And so I always thought that like web cartoonist was like a really bad word. So people would be like, oh, you do web comics. But like, no, no, I just post my comics online, but I make my own books, thank you very much. But I have actually been posting <laughs> comics online for like over a decade now, which is kind of freaky. It's those little things where you think back and you're like, oh, I actually am like a little bit old. Like I ate a yeah. salad for dinner last night. <sighs> I went to bed at like 9:30. I
2: I have to stop myself. I'm like, I'm how old? I'm 33. When the hell did that happen?
1: Yeah, no. Someone actually asked me how old I was, and I had to think about it for a second. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, 33. We're the same age. High five, dude. Yeah. <laughs> What's your birthday? Uh, my birthday is December 18th.
2: We're asking the hard-hitting questions today. Yeah,
1: that's right. Uh, I'm barely, barely in the year of the cock, is what I like to say. Just right in the end there.
2: Um. No, so, wonderful points, uh, going back though, one of the things that always jumped out at me about your work was how open and how honest it was and how, how much of yourself you bled into that work.
1: Just like just now with that information I gave you guys yeah. about, I'm a Sagittarius if anyone's wondering. We can get together later and map out our star signs and see if we're compatible. That's another thing about us being best Leo. friends. Is Leo,
2: Sagittarius, good.
1: I don't know. I actually don't know anything I don't about know it. Either. Does anyone know? No, Damn it, no. Jose! What are you good for? We'll have to look that up later.
2: Yeah, we will. No, so so putting so much of yourself out there, especially in this book or in the web comics, how hard is it for you to put that much Liz Prince out there in the world?
1: It's actually not. Uh, <laughs> people always are like, "How are you so honest?" Like. How, how can you uh, tell these things about yourself that are, you know, might be kind of embarrassing? And one thing is I actually don't consider them embarrassing. So if other people do, I guess I should have a little, a little uh, less self-esteem, I guess. Um, but also, I mean, there are obviously things that I, like, don't include in my comics and that I wouldn't feel comfortable about. But those are just topics that I don't breach. I guess I feel more, like, casually conversational in my comics than... Maybe some other people would. Yeah. But another thing about it is that like it's almost easier to write a comic about something that's like difficult than it is to like sit across from somebody and like talk about it. So like it's got a therapeutic aspect Great. to it as well. Yeah.
2: You picked up you picked up what I was laying down there. Yeah. Um <laughs> it, putting that much out there, you're working through these issues. Um going through Tomboy. It's such a intense. It's such a fabulous, wonderful book. I loved it. I'm a 33 year old man, and there's so much of it I identify with. You know, four year old Liz Prince, ten year old Liz Prince. Um, Does that come through by being writing it as an adult, as a 30, probably two year old when Mm -hmm. you're creating it? You're seeing this book through adult eyes. Uh, What do you learn about you yourself now, looking at the journey of the young Liz Prince?
1: You mean what does? Uh, drawing about myself as a kid informed yeah. me as an adult. Yeah. What do you do? you That's like to learn like backwards things backwards from things? the way that I wrote the book? Because oh. in the book, I, it, uh, I, present day me shows up as a narrator a lot, um, specifically in the parts where I'm really young, just to kind of um, talk about these more evolved like gender ideas that I wouldn't have necessarily been thinking about when I was younger. Um, as kind of a trope and then it goes away towards the middle of the book when I start to be in like junior high and high school and start to be able to think about those things independently and I don't need my present self to be a prompt. Um, I don't know if like writing about my childhood has has any like direct effect on who I am now uh, other than like some of the things that I wrote about it was really surprising how much more I actually remembered the feeling of the situation than I actually remembered the situation itself. So like thinking about like, oh wow, like I I very viscerally like remember what this felt like, but I don't necessarily remember all of the details or things that like led up to that. So it was like interesting to find those situations and be like, okay, well I know I was friends with X, Y, and Z, so I must have been about 10 years old, which means I was in third grade, so. And that was how I like chronologically was like placing those things.
2: Yeah. Um, Is is there anything, you know, let me find the right words for this. Putting, again, keeping with the putting yourself out there in the books, Making comics, it's a big, it's kind of a bold thing. Um, You you talk about how you found, you know, the punk rock scene that helped accept you, and then you're making your mini-comics. A lot of people out there might be listening who want to do these things. They're afraid to do it. How did you find the courage to actually get out there and make these things?
1: Um, Well, I've always been someone who was really into drawing and telling stories, Um, so comics was really a natural thing for me. It made a lot of sense. It was the first... Um, The first comics I saw were like Disney, Uncle Scrooge comics, and I was really into cartoons. I thought I wanted to be an animator when I was younger, and my friends and I used to make flip books, but it was like a lot of work to like, you know, draw like 60 pages to make like a bird blink and like flap its arms once. And I was like, man, how do people make like hour-long movies out of this? This is insane. And then, uh, you know, back then, comics used to be sold in supermarkets, like on little spinner racks or next to the magazines. And the first time I saw, comic book, it was like an Uncle Scrooge comic, and I was like, oh my god, it's like a cartoon and a book put together. It's my two favorite things in one thing, and that was when I decided that I wanted to make comics. Um, And the first comics that I was making were very much rip-offs of those like anthropomorphic animal things. Uh, I had a comic called Bat-Rat, which was like Batman, (laughs) but he was a rat. Um, And as I got older, uh, I was really influenced by Jeff Smith's bone and um, through that, because he self-published that book, Cartoon Books is actually his own imprint um, in my local comic book store. It was actually shelved with like the indie comics. So um, I was seeing, you know, bone next to like milk and cheese. And so I was naturally like picking up the stuff that was on the shelf next to it. And I had like a milk and cheese rip off comic for a while that was called Scott the Angry Paper Cup, which I thought was really clever because you know, Scott the Paper Company like makes toilet paper and cups and whatever. So I was like, look how clever I am. Um, And when I discovered um, Ariel Shrag's comic, she's a queer female cartoonist who, when she was in high school, she's like a couple of years older than me, she was drawing these uh, autobiographical comics about each year in high school. So her freshman year is awkward, her sophomore year is definition, um, her junior year is potential, and her senior year is likewise. And uh, when I first saw those comics, I would never seen anything that was like it before because it was like way less polished than I was used to seeing, and it really had this very just like, it was just like reading someone's diary. Um, And that's one of the things that I think is so great about autobiographical comics is you not only get to um, like hear someone tell their story through words, but you kind of get to see how they view the world also through the way that they draw. Um, And once I saw that, I was like, whoa, maybe I could like write my own comics about myself. And that was kind of what kickstarted way before Kickstarter. Uh, No one gave me any money, but my brain gave me creative capital. Um, And I started drawing and making my own comics, and that was kind of, and I've never really thought about it, is the funny thing, because people are always like, oh, like, how did you, how do you do it? And it's like, I've never, I never sat down and was like, this is my game plan. I was just like, oh, well, I want to draw comics about the dumb things my friends and I do for fun, and I want to make zines, because that's like an important thing to me. Um, And uh, I've just been lucky that people have been reading them and, you know, connecting with them.
2: I've been talking to uh, some comedian buddies of mine, you know, um, about this stuff. Like, we just started doing things, and, you know, the initial start of doing things is a little difficult, but then once, you're, once the ball's rolling, everything's so easy. I mean, it's not, but it is. It's so easy to do. Um, has it been easy for you to do these things? I mean, are you blown away at how easy it is?
1: Um, <laughs> I, the the
2: idea I have with this direction is there's a 14 year old little kid who's like I want to do this and it's like it's easy you should get out there and do it is what I'm yeah, trying to get I mean, you to say. I I do
1: I do kind of think that it's easy yes. but along the way I you know when you do it for long enough like new new challenges and new surprises arise like. This is the first time I've ever written a graphic novel. Most of my other comics are short, like gag strips or like three or four page things. Um, And I've always wanted to draw graphic novels, but it took me like 10 years into my career to actually sit down and make one. That's not because I didn't want to, it was just because it seems so daunting to write a book that's like 250 (laughs) pages long. Um, And I've certainly like started other longer projects before and I'll get to a point where like, I don't know how to move the story forward. Or I don't know what should happen next, so I'll put it down and be like, oh, I'll just come back to this in a week and then I never touch it again. Um, <clears throat> one of the great things about Tomboy, or one of the real, really only reasons why it exists is because I had such a short deadline. I had to write and draw the entire book in nine months um, that I didn't have any time to sit there and be like, I don't know what's gonna happen next. I couldn't walk away from it for a week and come back. Um, so I just had to keep going and some things that um, that I didn't felt like worked I went back and was able to fix and some things I'm still a little bit like oh, I don't know if I think that transition is so great but you know all in all I'm really happy with the way that it came out um, another challenge has been uh, you know I draw some comics for boom I do some adventure time and regular show uh, I'm writing their comic series that's based on the show, Clarence, um, and this is the first time I've ever written a comic that I didn't draw, which is a, a totally new experience for me. Um, so there, there's just like, even though I've been doing this for, you know, since I was like 15 years old, it's it's not old hat, because so many new things show up to kind of have, make me reinvent my own wheel, so to speak. Yeah,
2: when you sit back and uh, take a look at what you've done, do you have any like holy, this has got to be PG, but holy, like, whoa, I can't believe I got to do that.
1: Um, well, or definitely, just... you know, getting to, um, to do an Adventure Time story, you know, at the time that I did it, I was like, oh, this is blowing my mind. It's exploding my brain. And uh, the story that I did, I, I um, wrote a short about Lemon Grab being in a punk band. And so I worked in all of these punk references. Um, and it was really fun. To see, uh, you know, like younger kids who read the story had started like this message board where they were trying to like pick out all the different like references. They'd be like, "Okay, on this page, he says that he wanted cherry, but he got the sour grape flavored popsicle." Uh, I found out that's a descendants thing, uh, that's a black flag thing. So it was like cool to see them like hunting down these references just because I put it in an Adventure Time comic. And I met one of them, and she had like a Ramone's back patch, and awesome. I was like. Yeah, she was like, it's because of you. And I was like, yes, I'm turning these kids into little punks. Yeah. And, and and for
2: you, how did you find this punk rock world that
1: opened um, these doors? and? Well,
2: which is cataloged in, but... in the book. It's in the
1: book. But, uh, you know, I didn't grow up with a cool older sibling to introduce me to music and things like that, although my dad was a. Uh, He was a music journalist, so he always got like promo copies of CDs and stuff, but um, I didn't really have anyone to usher me into punk, so I discovered punk through MTV and uh, Green Day in 1994, when they were totally sellouts, but it didn't matter to me. Um, Green Day was really what kind of like opened that door for me. I remember seeing the video for Basket Case and I was just like, what is this? What is this music? What is this video? and then you know through that I discovered their older Lookout Records releases, and they always came with like a little catalog that was like one sheet of paper that had like every album they've ever put out. So I'd be like, oh, what's Mr. T Experience? You know, what's Operation Ivy? What's this? And so um, that was really kind of what opened opened the door, which is kind of funny because you know so many people are, and especially back then, you know, kids in high school would be like, you're not really punk. Green Day's not really punk. And you think about it, and it's like, well, you know. Maybe it's on the radio, but it gets these people to like yeah. hunt down these other things, and then I became really involved with the local, uh, the local teen art center in Santa Fe, which you know at the time when I was growing up in New Mexico, I was like, oh, nothing cool ever happens here. The bands that play here are probably just like whatever bands and so I always thought that it would be better somewhere else and when I moved to Boston for art school I realized like oh all the bands that people are like into are bands that I saw at this totally small venue in Santa Fe and um, you know it was like an all ages space and a lot of cities don't have that and so it was like this really special thing that at the time I was like everywhere else must have it better but it actually turned out that I had this like Really awesome, empowering, like punk experience that I took for granted. Yeah,
2: I'm. am always telling people they should participate. You participated in that DIY center. How did you get involved with that DIY center, and what and what did you gain from doing that?
1: Um, <clears throat> I became involved with Warehouse 21, which actually still exists in Santa Fe today, which is great that it's still there. Um, I went to a very hippie-ish. Uh, high school it was the kind of place where you don't really have to take classes you're kind of free to do what you feel so I don't know anything about history or like geography I don't think I could name the seven continents so don't don't make that one of your questions you will not win the book if you do that Um, (laughs) and one of the things that we were encouraged to do at this school was to do like community service or volunteer work And so I started volunteering at Warehouse 21 because I was interested in art and I'd heard it was an art center. Um, It had like a screen printing room and a theater. Uh, The room that shows were in was also the theater. So kids could like make their own plays and put them on. Um, There was like a video editing room and like a little recording studio. And they used to have like gallery shows where teen artists could like show their paintings and stuff. And so that was really attractive to me. And one of the first things that I did as a volunteer there was help this girl put together a zine library. She'd gotten donations from a bunch of people and that was like one of the first times that I had seen zines. And you know, she was like one of the coolest people I'd ever met and she was just this punk girl. And she was like, you should be coming to shows. And I was like, okay. And so that was just like how I got involved in it.
2: It steamed roll to you being here at Denver Comic Con, somehow, some in right. a weird way.
1: Denver Comic Con. Yeah,
2: participation's easy.
1: <laughs> That's right.
2: Um, I have this really highbrow question that I, I really like, and I don't know. But when you discovered punk rock, mm-hmm. I remember when I discovered it, it felt like I'd found that missing piece, like, missing piece meets the big O. Yeah. Was it like that for yourself when you finally discovered it and were, went into this world?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm thinking back on it, and it's really interesting because um, for my entire life, I'd been a little bit of an outcast, but I'd been very like proud of that title. You know, I'd always been like, I don't want to fit in, oh. Um And so punk is very much about that, but also at the same time, when I first discovered punk, it was like the first time that I was ever like, uh, is this shirt cool? Are the kids at the show gonna think that I'm cool? Like, is this band? cool, can I put their sticker on my car? So it was like this interesting thing of being like, oh, it's this very counterculture thing, and it's all about being like, yeah, man, damn the man. You don't have to fit in, but then at the same time, I was like, I really want to fit in with these kids. Like, how do I do it? Um, So it was like this weird, like, contradiction almost.
2: But it worked out all
1: right. Yeah, I mean, I'm still really worried. I mean, do you think this shirt is cool? (laughs) Like, is it punk enough? (laughs) It's got a Peter Pan collar? I think that's what this is called. I mean, are, are you,
2: <laughs> what time do you got to pick up the kids from the soccer practice?
1: This is not a. I don't know. Lunch I don't know shirt.
2: I'm just being. This is
1: like a power lunch shirt or something. Like I'm going to eat a kale salad and broker some kind of business deal, don't you think?
2: Yeah, actually. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, uh, you, you're still doing the mini comics. Mini-comics are such a huge part of your life and your career. Um, after doing something like this, what is it like going back and making the smaller stuff?
1: Um, actually, I haven't, uh, I haven't drawn really any of my own stories since I finished Tomboy, which is kind of a point of contention for myself, but also writing and drawing one story over the course of nine months really kind of like burned me out in a certain way that I didn't realize at the time. Like My plan while I was still working on this book was I was like, I'm going to finish this book in March when it's due and then I'm going to pitch another book and by the time that this book comes out I'll be like halfway done with another graphic novel and then the idea of like drawing another 250 page book was like I I want to live my life again and not be like chained to the couch in front of episodes of Gossip Girl which was great I mean in a certain respect but at the same time like I didn't go outside a lot I was like having these weekly mental breakdowns where my boyfriend was like all right we're going outside, we're taking a walk, we're gonna, go, we're gonna go out to a movie or something, you're leaving the house. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so um, I actually haven't worked on any stories for myself, really, except for some shorter like anthology pieces since I finished that. Um, but something that I am looking forward to doing. Maybe after I finish writing these Clarence issues, I can get back into really being Liz yeah and this is your
2: full-time job just yeah drawing working. comics and doing freelance stuff
1: thank you yeah to to you. Uh, I got to illustrate a math textbook earlier this year it was very it was a very weird experience uh, for someone who doesn't really care about math that much sorry to all you math nerds out there um, but those are the kinds of things that like when people are like, "Whoa, you make comics for a living and it's like, and I do all this weird random stuff, like illustrating math textbooks and you know de yeah. blah <laughs> that's where the real money is math textbooks <laughs>
2: <coughs> um, one th- w- one of the things I liked about you know uh let me make sure I get the name right, will you still love me if I wet the bed, mm-hmm. which uh, one uh
1: an Ignatz Award. Ignatz yeah. Award. Mm-hmm. That's like the Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Awards of comics. Is kind of how I, um, how I pitch it, although it has nothing to do with kids. But it's just like the people at this specific convention like vote on what they want to win, and so it was like a popularity contest. And I crushed everybody else. <laughs> well,
2: what I, what I like about your work is there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of life lessons in that book. A tomboy, maybe from Clarence. I don't know yet because I haven't read it. But who who do you look at? Who do you get? Um, who taught you life lessons in, when you were doing stuff? You know,
1: in like a comics way or in like a life anyway, life way.
2: Comics and life, you know.
1: Well, in comics, um, like I mentioned, Ariel Schrag was really you know, the person who opened up this world of autobiocomics for me. She's got
2: a giant uh, quote on the back, the only one in all caps.
1: Yeah, that's right, because it's the best quote. Um, And when I was writing this book, I was really looking at Raina Telgemeier's book, Smile, um, because that's like a really great all ages um, autobiographical story about her getting braces and being in junior high. And there's just kind of this really great narrative feel about it, so I was kind of trying to capture some of that stuff, but um, this book's obviously, like, a lot edgier than that book is. It's got a little more teeth, but I was trying to, you know, kind of, I wanted to write a story that is very much for young adults, but that, you know, people my age and older would enjoy reading as well, so that was something that I was really focused on with this book. Um, You know, life lessons-wise, I dedicated this book to my mom because... Um, I try to dedicate this book to strong women in my life because although feminism is never talked about outright in this book, it's a very feminist book. And so, um, you know, my mom is someone who really encouraged me to just do the things that I like doing. And she raised three very different children. Um, You know, my sister is a belly dancer, my brother is a photographer. I'm this weirdo comic artist. (sighs) Um, and I also dedicated the book to my friend Gail, who was actually um, Harley in the book. I changed everyone's names. Um, but she is a woman who's uh, around my mom's age, and when I was in junior high, she was actually making a zine, and she was one of the first people who like wanted to publish my comics. So I was drawing kind of like, at the time, I thought I wanted to do newspaper comic strips, so they were kind of like newspapery gag strips that she was publishing in her zine, and she was one of the first people who really gave me the confidence to, to make these comics and made me feel like other people might be interested in reading them. Because you know, when your mom's like, this is great. It's like, yeah, you have to say that, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. you gave birth to me. You have to like the things I do. It's a biological imperative. But when somebody else, you know, steps out of the woodwork and is like, oh no, I actually see value in this. That's when you can be like, oh, oh, maybe there is something there.
2: What's it like being on the convention floor meeting these people who were... Have you met people that are profoundly affected by the books?
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting. I never... um, You know, writing this book... uh, I obviously... I had audience in mind for the first time because most of my other comics are... They're not explicitly adult, but, you know, they're not really for kids. And then writing this book, I had to keep that in mind a little bit more. um, And... One of the things that I didn't really imagine would happen is that a lot of parents have read the book and written to me and been like, "Oh, like I really understand my children a lot more after reading this." A woman wrote me this really heartbreaking email about how, you know, her daughter is in high school now and she's always been a tomboy and she's always tried to like correct that about her. She always tried to make her wear dresses. And uh, you know, the end of her email was that her daughter's prom was coming up and her daughter was going to wear like a kind of like a suit thing and she was trying to get her to wear this dress and she was like you know what actually after reading your book i'm just gonna let her do whatever she wants it's fine and i was like wow that is like so cool Um, i've gotten emails from like 10 to like 12 year olds who were like i've never met another tomboy you're my hero and they always include a picture of themselves which i think is really funny with every email um so now i have a bunch of pictures of like pre-teens on my computer, and I'm probably on some kind of FBI watch list. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's just, it's really, and it's really interesting to just hear the different people that connect with it, and why, you know, and even though this is a book by a woman about a female experience, I've gotten a lot of men who have written to me and been like, you know, I didn't grow up doing the same things that you did, but I really felt very, like, outside of my own gender, and this, like, is really... Helpful for me to read this book, and so I think those are like surprising things about it to me.
2: Like I was a fat kid who got picked on and and whatnot, and there's I mean there's stuff that I can identify with in this too, you know, because I was a weirdo kid and whatnot too. So there's something in there for everyone.
1: Yeah, I just um, I've been doing a lot of Skype sessions with like book clubs and um, some middle school classes that have been reading the book, and I skyped with a group of eighth graders. Um, earlier on in the week, and they were all standing up and, like, saying things that they connected with in the book, and one girl stood up, and she was like, I really connected with, like, the body issues and, like, not liking your body part. And she sat down, and, like, all these other girls were like, "Oh," and, like, rubbed her back, and I was like, yeah, man, like, I think that everyone feels that way to a certain extent, and it's always been in my life, like, the friends who I've had who are girls who are, like, more traditionally girly and very, like, you know, made up and stuff are like the people who are always like, oh, I feel so ugly today. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You look like immaculate. I fell out of bed and didn't put on a different t-shirt. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing great. You're winning at life, I think.
2: <laughs> um, so uh, when you think back to the trials and tribulations, if everything had been, you know, the golden paved road for you, do you think you would have turned out to be the person you are or did those, you know, um, the pain and whatnot help and help shape you into the person you are. Obviously, it did, but
1: I mean, was, I have, it's really interesting because people like ask me questions like, "Oh, what what do you think your life would be like if your parents hadn't been supportive of you?" And I'm like, probably really horrible. I mean, <laughs> I imagine, but it's hard for me to put myself in those. Positions. I mean, I have to assume that, yeah, I would be an entirely different pe- yeah. person. I'd probably be like in a Ferrari somewhere yeah. with like my trophy husband. I, I, I would I, still be wearing this though, because I would have actually just eaten a kale salad and brokered a really powerful business deal. <laughs>
2: but I, I like the idea, you know, like, I'm not the person I was five minutes ago. I'm not the person 30 minutes ago when we mm-hmm. said down and started this. And then- I have
1: that effect on people. You I really people, do. Told, yeah. I mean, we're best
2: friends forever now. Yeah. But, Five dollars, fucking bar. <laughs> I you guess, um, but yeah, because because of those things that I've gone through in my life, I, and yeah, it, basically, what I'm trying to say is those kids that are listening out there who might you know be getting picked on at school, like those things are helping you become a better person if you let them. You yeah, know, so embrace
1: you. it. It's but, making you a better person. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> um, one of the cool things that's going to be happening tomorrow is I'm going to be interviewed by a nine-year-old. Girl who has her own YouTube channel. Uh, I think it's called Act Out Games. Her name is Presley, and she's a tomboy, and she really connected with my book. Um, and I'm just excited to talk to her, because I think it's, like, it's really cool. She's been posting um, a video every day like for the last two years or something. She hasn't missed a day. And I just think that's really cool that she does that, and she's like the most adorable little kid.
2: Cool. Uh, you got anything else you want to talk about before i ask these yahoos if they have better questions than me because i'm uh-huh. sure they do
1: <laughs> um, you know i'm just really glad that you guys are here denver comic-con uh, convention like this is kind of out of my wheelhouse um, i'm not really like a big superhero convention type of person so um it's nice to sit in a room like this and talk to some people about my own personal work and have you guys laugh at and with me so thank you <laughs> uh,
2: so yeah anybody got any uh, questions for miss liz prince Ooh, we got two. Fancy. Uh, 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 Tina. <laughs> Tina Belcher. I wanted to call you Bob, but I'm, <laughs> I'm an idiot. Uh, so it
1: definitely... uh, for the podcast, the question that was asked was, um, what impact do I think Tomboy has as a graphic novel that it wouldn't have as just a regular prose novel? Um, and for me, the real power in um, autobiographical comics is, um, like I mentioned earlier, how you get to kind of see how the person views the world, not just uh, hearing them tell their story. Um, and I really think that one of the things that is so successful about *Tomboy* is um, is how uh, the facial expressions really impact the more emotional scenes. Um, I have a lot of inherent sarcasm and snarkiness, and I think that that comes through in my characters, like kind of, I mean, the cover of the book is I'm um, being a little side-eye at, at, my, um, at my gender right there. So, um, you know, I really try to, um, I try to include, a lot of actual acting with the characters whenever I draw a comic. That's something that's really important to me. So not just you know two people standing in a panel talking, but like what would their faces actually be looking like? Like what would their body language actually be like? And I think that that's one of the things that you really don't get out of a prose novel. Into, you
3: know, mm-hmm. uh, ever,
0: Blown up in my problem?
1: face. <laughs> uh, so the question was, um, you know what I write about my personal relationships. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm very willing to be honest about myself. But how do I kind of maybe protect other people's identities? Um, you know, want I, I started out not changing people's names, because everything that I was doing was on such a like small personal scale that I was like, oh, you know, this is fine, like, everyone knows me and the people who are reading this book probably already know who all the players are anyway. And then once I started um, doing books with Top Shelf and kind of getting larger recognition, I was like, oh, you know what, actually, like, maybe I'm, I'm comfortable telling these things about myself, but maybe the people who I'm, who I'm drawing in my comics were participating with me, like, aren't as comfortable. Having things told about them, um, one of the things that I always try to do in my comics is um, I try to be fair you know i'm never I'm never really like the hero of a story. Um, I try to show like all sides of it and uh, <clears throat> you know like in a book like tomboy, everyone's names have been changed except for my own. Uh, my younger brother was one of the first people who like read the book while I was working on it and uh, you know, his main comment was like, why did you change my name? And I was like, well, because I had to, because someone could have been like, oh, I knew you know, her little brother, and that means that this person is like X, Y, and Z. Um, <clears throat> you know, luckily so far, I haven't had anyone complain about the way I've portrayed them in a comic, I actually get more comments about people not showing up in my comics. I'm like, what, I'm not funny enough to make it into a strip? Um, And I'm like, yeah, really, amp it up, you know, you gotta try a little harder. Um, Uh, And another thing that that I did in a book like this, since it spans from the time that I'm, you know, a toddler until I'm 18 years old, is that a lot of characters are actually amalgamations of like several people that I was friends with at the time, instead of having to be like, whoa, here's 10 people that I introduced to you in junior high, just so that one person can like say a thing to me. Um, So like narratively for this book, I was really like globbing people together and, uh, you know, trying to make the story flow a little easier since it does encompass so much of my life
2: how uh how important is it to be so honest in the work i mean we... uh,
1: i mean for me it's like it's it's the highest echelon i really um i wouldn't want to be drawing these books if I had to be like being disingenuous about it um and that was one of the really great things after I Skyped with that middle school class was i actually got like uh in the fashion of the kids. Uh, it's a thing where now they use their notepad app on their phones and take a picture of it and then tweet it at you so they can write like a really long thing and still tweet it to you, which I just learned about this week. Yeah, I know, right? I'm like, you guys are on it. This really is the future of America. Um, but a couple kids in the class like tweeted me this really, it's just like this really great notes about how like they really felt like it was one of the most honest books that they'd read And talking to me in the class they were like oh you just seem like you're such a real person and you're not trying to be like well blah 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 gender <laughs> feminism and they were like oh you just like you're just you have this very real way of talking about it and that was something that was really important for me with my work is to just kind of be as plainly me as humanly possible
2: do you ever do you ever catch yourself not being as honest and how do you course correct and get back into that place
1: I haven't yet. Oh, cool. um, you know, like I said, if I think something's like too embarrassing to write about, I just won't write about it, because <laughs> even Liz Prince has her deep, dark secrets.
2: Cool. Uh, let's see. we got about eight minutes left. Anybody else? Yes.
1: Um, the question for the people at home was, in writing an autobiographical uh, graphic novel or story, how do I decide what goes in? Um, you know, for my shorter like gag strips, it's really just I can kind of tell like right away when something happens in my real life if it's gonna if I'm gonna draw it as a comic because I'll just like see it immediately in my head as a comic. I actually almost see like most of my memories as comics now too, which I might I think might be like a clinical problem. Uh, people should study me, I think. Um, but for a book like Tomboy, since um, you know to keep this book from being five thousand pages long. Um, you know, I I was really helped by having the theme of gender, because then I could automatically be like, all right, um, you know, a graphic novel like this is really just a collection of short anecdotes that are like connected by this longer theme. And so there were a lot of things that I wanted to put in the book, but they just didn't directly relate to the story that I was telling so it's like well I don't want to go off on all these like tangents just because this funny thing happened to me if it doesn't relate to the story then it doesn't get to be in this particular book but you know I have so many like one of the hardest scenes to write was um, the scene where I'm at Girl Scout camp because so many weird things happened to me at that Girl Scout camp there was a girl who said she was going to bash my head in with a rock if I ever went to sleep and there was another girl who dragged a horse Carcass under her cabin because she wanted it to decompose so she could bring the skeleton to her dad So I kind of want to draw a Girl Scout comic because those things just didn't fit (laughs) into that book But they're really crazy awesome stories. Girl Scouts are insane
2: (laughs) Uh, Anybody else any other questions Jose
1: Um, So the question was um, What events am I going to write about in my future books uh, that might be uncomfortable and what events? Uh, am I going to write about that might not take place? Am I That I want to take place. Um, well, one of the books that I've been uh, kind of going back and forth about writing for a long time, not to bring the room down, is about uh, the suicide of a friend of mine, but it was someone who I had actually just started being friends with, so uh, it wasn't like this deep connection, but it was like this kind of thing where... You know, like, I liked this person a lot, but I never got a chance to really be friends with them. And I wanted to write about uh, just the different ways that, like, I was going through this grieving process, but I I almost didn't feel, like, entitled to. Like, I was like, I didn't know this person enough. Like, I didn't have enough of a connection with them, so I shouldn't feel so sad. I feel, like, weak being so sad about it. Um, and I've wanted to write that book for a really long time. Um, but I don't know when, you know, like that's obviously one of those things that's like, oh, well, that's gonna be kind of a difficult book to write. Not as fun as that maybe Girl Scouts are crazy book. Um, I actually kind of have a sequel to Tomboy because where this book ends is when I really just start getting into the punk scene and I start really discovering feminism, but there's a lot of like um, contradictions inherent In those things you know like for me punk has always been kind of this safe haven but it's not it's not um, it's not free from the like misogyny that happens in the outside world and a lot of people kind of you know assume that like oh well punks are a little more sensitive about it and I have found that like people are more willing to talk about those things but in practice do they actually happen no, maybe. So I kind of wanted to write a book, you know, more focusing on being, you know, later in high school and just out of high school and discovering punk and kind of discovering the ways that, like, that really brought out my, like, internalized misogyny it was when I kind of was like, oh, yeah, punk is finally, one of the reasons why I connected with punk so much was I was like, I've always wanted to be in this boys club. Go check out this boys club. There's only like three girls who hang out and they're all kind of like tomboys and, you know, uh, I wanted to like kind of dissect that experience a little bit.
2: Uh, Let's see, we got about three more minutes. Anybody else? Anybody? Yeah. I just
1: wanna ask what was your favorite punk show and why? What was my favorite punk show and why? Um, Wow, that's a really hard question to answer. I mean, I guess I'll just go with the first thing that came to mind, which is um, that when Descendants played Fun 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 Fest in Austin back in 2010. Um, They announced the show like two weeks before it was happening, and so I just bought a ticket to Austin. I like my old roommate lived there, and I was like, "Hey, can I come to Austin like see Descendants with you?" And she was like, "Yeah," and so I just like flew out there on a whim. I actually am really superstitious, and uh, since I bought my ticket on such short notice, I was like convinced I was going to die in a plane crash. Um, And the night. Before I left, I was uh, I was in my bed and I couldn't really sleep, and my cat Dracula, who's not really a cuddler, he came and he laid down on my face. I'm not even kidding, his body was on my face, and I was like, I think he's one of those cats can that can tell when you're gonna die like Zit, he's like I'm not really a cuddler but you know what I'm never gonna get the chance again so here you go obviously I didn't die now I'm a little pissed that my cat doesn't have any psychic powers um but when I went to that show uh you know she knew some of the people who were like involved in putting that festival on and they gave us like those backstage wristbands and we were like are we going to get to like, there were like these corral areas where you can stand on the stage. And I was like, are we going to get to stand on the stage? And I was like, you're not going to get to stand on the stage. And uh, they did let us, uh, the stages were set up, this is like a long convoluted story, but it's my punk rock glory story, so you'll have to bear with me. Uh, the stages were set up so that two bands played on either side, just one after each other, so that one, one band was playing one could be setting up and taking their stuff down. So they put us, Descendants were here, they put us on the far, in the corral on the far side, which was still fine, but like once the they actually started playing, like all these photographers started like showing up in between us, and it was kind of hard to see. We were in this pen, and we were like, "What do we? How do we?" And this guy just like jumped the railing, and we were like, "All right, jailbreak!" So we like swiggled through and like ran to the side, and uh, like everyone did it, and like everyone after us got busted and got kicked off the stage. But I made it, and I got to stand like this far from Bill Stevenson while he was playing all of my favorite descendant songs and it was like kinda of the coolest thing that's ever happened.
2: That my my favorite is Descendants as well. That was my favorite show. You know Not one that of the one asked, of but... the greatest
1: things about Punk is that it's so accessible and I feel like, you know, my friends who are like, oh Pearl Jam's my favorite band, they don't have any stories about like, yeah man, I got to meet Pearl Jam and hang out with them. And, but like, you know, I have tons of stories about being like, oh, you know, Mast Intruder asked me to do their artwork. Like that's really cool. So, so punk is just—it's great. It's more like a family.
2: And it's so easy to to, kind of easy to do things. That's what I love about it. Yeah. So, speaking of doing things, we did it.
1: Yeah. High five. Thanks, you guys. Um,
2: Um, You can find us at the Boom Studios booth.
1: It's number six twenty nine. When does Clarence
2: officially come out?
1: Uh, It was supposed to be here at the show, which is actually why I'm here, but it didn't get printed in time. Um, So I'm kind of bored up there. So if you guys want to come up and talk to me, that would be super awesome. Uh, It'll come out in two weeks, so I believe it's June third, maybe. Two weeks. Whatever that Wednesday, the first Wednesday in June, I believe. So. Cool.
2: Tom boys on bookshelves everywhere. That's well, right. hopefully everywhere. It should be. Have you seen in the airport yet?
1: No. Me that would either. be so cool. <laughs> it's coming.
2: It'll be there. Okay. Uh, thank you guys. Oh, who who should win the book? <laughs> I uh, well, I mean, bold, I agree, so and she's go. got the yeah.
1: Cool. And everyone can take some. What was your name, young
2: lady? Right. Katie, aka Tina Belcher, has won the book, guys. Good job. Congratulations. Thanks. Thank you guys for coming and checking us out. All right, Liz. Thank you so much for hanging out and chatting with me at Denver Comic-Con. It was such an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad we got to do it in front of such a wonderful, intimate audience. Thank you to everyone who came out at Denver Comic-Con to see the show. Um, Again, it's unfortunate. A lot of people came by my table later on and were like, I didn't know Liz Prince was here. Um, So I don't know what to say, man it It sucks that there was only twenty five people in there, but I blown away that there were twenty five people in there to s- watch me ask my new best friend forever Liz Prince um about her life and her work and uh she Liz, Liz had some very nice things to say about the panel afterwards and i'm 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 really really again blown away um i i buddies it's it's so easy to participate and just get up off the couch and make things happen um hopefully you have learned that from today's episode of mostly harmless podcast we are nearing episode 100 i'm kind of blown away i'm kind of blown away that it didn't happen two or three years ago because it's been a long journey but you know i work 40 hours a week it's rough it's hard it's hard to make these things happen um, but liz liz also did the cover art for this week's episode so please go by mostly check it out it's very crucial to today's episode and she is just such a wonderful awesome person Um, I hope we can collaborate again. And again, I think um, these live talk show panel style events are the new future for most of the harmless. I really like doing it. I get a lot more out of it than sitting in my bedroom talking to myself like I am right now. And I think I'm going to try to do a lot more panels at conventions outside of Colorado. Um, But next year, we're going to be doing a whole lot more comic book related stuff. I'm going to be doing a whole lot more indie comics panels with other people. And I'm going to really try to integrate myself in there. And we're going to really try to do some cool stuff. Ooh, excuse me. I got a burp. <laughs> Thank you, Death with Co- Witch Copy, for all the caffeinated uh, brews you have uh, passed along this way. And uh, thanks to our sponsors at Ratio Beerworks, ratiobeerworks.com, for uh, um, all the beers they've been passed along this way as well. So, buddies, uh, without any further ado, again, the 100th episode of Most Harmless Podcast is upon us. Um, we have a super-secret special guest coming up. I'm not going to reveal it just yet, but uh, let me just say that it kind of ties into this, uh, this song that we're going to end today's episode with, which also ties into Liz's favorite concert story. So without any further ado, buddies, uh, let's listen to The Descendants, my favorite Descendants song. And I, I got a good feeling that it's probably Liz's favorite Descendants song. This is Coolidge. <laughs> All right, buddies. we we'll see you in the funny pages. You take care now.